Welcome to the S2 Cognition Podcast. S2 is the official cognitive evaluation in sports, from youth to pro, where athletes and coaches build to win. On today's episode of the S2 Cognition Podcast, we talk to Joe Dillon, Washington Nationals hitting coordinator. He's a world-renowned hitting coach and widely recognized as one of the top hitting coordinators in all of Major League Baseball. He won a World Series with the Nationals in 2019 and also helped coach Bryce Harper back to MVP status by winning in 2021 with the Philadelphia Phillies. We talk World Series experience, using and helping develop cognitive drill packages to challenge professional hitters, and the importance of understanding your own hitter's cognition. All that and more is coming up next here on the S2 Cognition Podcast, and you're going to love it. Joe, I introduced you, but I, I want you briefly to describe your your journey in baseball, right? Obviously, you're a professional player. Now you're into coaching, long, long-term long career in coaching. Can you describe kind of briefly your journey? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been fun. It's been a, obviously interesting interesting journey. And, um, you know, everybody's dream as a kid is to play in the major leagues. And I was fortunate to, to get to achieve that goal. Um, you know, my, my path was... Uh, a, a real bumpy one, um, but I think that's boded well to the coaching part of my career as well. A lot of the experiences I got to ex- go through as a player, um, you know, playing overseas, playing winter ball in Latin America, um, you know, playing in Japan. You know, I had a brief stint where I was I had a back injury and didn't think I was ever going to play again. I went back to tech and ended up getting surgery and was able to come back. And so just e- even that that situation where I got a step back and get on the other side of the fence and coach for a year and then go back and play was really, really, you know, uh, impactful for me and my perspective of how I went about things when I came back and played. And then obviously all those experiences and uh, translating the coaching side. And you know, I've been real fortunate to be around some really smart people and really good players and MVPs and all-stars to learn from and, you know, smart people like Scott, um, That's right. you know, to, to, that's the one thing I've, I'm not real smart, but the one smart thing about me is I, I know who the smart people are and who do things really well. And I, and I get a chance to get around them and pick their brains and learn from them and, you know, try to figure out every way possible to, to learn things to help my players get better. And, um, you know, that's kind of been the journey and, you know, still learning every day and um, trying to help the players get as good as they can and different ways to train and do everything else. It's, it's, it's fun. It's, I'm passionate about it. I love it. And um, that's where we're at today. You weren't really talking about yourself in the light that I was hoping you would talk yourself in. You, you've, you are a, a very professional. Having you on is, is a tremendous gift for us. We're so thankful and that you've been generous with your time. I mean, you've coached an MVP. You've won a World Series, right? A lot of guys that are still playing, you've coached. I, I would love for you to describe how training the cognitive aspect and the decision-making aspect has had an impact on, on coaching these top elite players in their field. Absolutely. Um, you know, kind of the genesis of S2 and, and my relationship is through Paul Phillips. Um, you know, I remember talking to Paul. Paul and I came up through the rural system together, known each other a long time. Um, and, you know, I remember when Paul first connected with Scott and Brandon and like, Joe, I just met these guys they are really smart. And I think this could be some groundbreaking stuff. You need to look into it, blah, 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 blah. 
And I'm like, yeah. And um, so when he, we actually hired Paul with the Marlins to be the AAA hitting coach his first year and then became the catching coordinator the next year. Um, but that's when we were introduced to Scott and Brandon with S2 and um, kind of started that relationship and obviously very intrigued by the information and, you know, connecting the dots, not only from the assessment perspective of, of the individual cognitive skills, which makes perfect sense when you step back and think about it. Um, you know, it's kind of a, a missing bucket um, in development and even evaluation to that, to that point. Um, and then having that piece of information and getting to dive in and learn and ask questions and s- connect the dots of why, why hitters in my, in my field, why hitters make the decisions they make. And when things go wrong, how to try to protect them from some of their weaknesses and try to enhance some of their strengths um, and, and go driving through that. And I remember the first time uh, I flew up, flew out to Nashville and we all sat around and had a whiteboard session for all day long. And I think we could have went for weeks. Um, but just having Scott able to connect the dots, like Scott, here's, here's, here's drill concepts and packages and progressions that we've done that work. Why? And he goes, well, that's great. And here's why it works. And you're, you're hitting this, these processes and, and these different things. And they have to do X, Y, Z to execute that blah, 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 blah. And it was just groundbreaking for me to, to really start connecting the dots of the why. And then when we know the why we're able to, you know, actually, you know, prescribe certain things for the guys even better. Um, so you're attacking it, you know, basically doing surgery with the scalpel instead of a sledgehammer. I love that. Approach. Yeah. Let me, let me comment on that because you know, I don't want to be accused of calling our podcast guest, you know, full of crap in front of everyone. But when he says he's not very smart, he's full of crap. Um, forgive me, Joe. No, the, you know, this relationship really, um, we've got scientific principles and there are certain decision systems that these athletes are using in the game. And we know about those systems and how to train them and how to but what we're we're missing is that baseball expertise, and it really is this synergy. And we just struck a, an incredible accord with 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 Joe and with Paul. I mean, you got two leading baseball minds with the side, the geeky scientists that we are, and us two sitting down in a room and just talking through. Hey, how how does impulse control system works and work and how, how do we train it and timing what, what help us understand timing and and so this this really was a sharing of the minds and uh, Joe's expertise and his passion for understanding you know all facets of what makes a great hitter and you know when he got excited and Paul got excited about the decision making piece and how there was an opportunity here that hadn't really been exploited that was untapped in developing hitters, um, it, it very much was this synergistic exchange between his in, incredible and vast knowledge of, of baseball and hitting with, uh, with with trying to marry that with our, our scientific principles. So don't let him fool you. He, uh, it, 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 I still remember those exchanges and they're some of the most rewarding and enjoyable I've had in my entire career, just sitting and talking baseball and science. And uh, we've got Joe and and Paul to thank for that. Just to follow up on that. So like after, so it was 2016 was when we brought Paul on board. He's a triple hitting coach. That's kind of that year that we kind of dove into information and, you know, I really 
try to learn as much as possible and have a conversation with Scott. And then, you know, we, that off season, we created drill progressions and, you know, try to connect the dots on, you know, what systems will work and why we're working them, how to work them, how to get guys better, how to train better, how to prepare them better to perform better in the game, blah, 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 all those different conversations we had. And I remember our Guinea pigs, which, you know, lucky or whatever you may call it, you know, coincidence, luck or whatever, but Austin, Austin Nola and Isaac Galloway, but the two players were like, all right, these are guys that have been minor league guys um, their whole career. Yeah. And, you know, one of them, you know, if you look at, you know, the buckets that I look at, you know, the physical bucket, the cognitive bucket and the, kind of the human element bucket of, of being a human and, and all those different implications that, that comes into play as equation as well as just the physical and the cognitive. But, you know, those two players are like the exact opposite, right? So you have, you have one, and again, it's all relative to the, to the, to the population. So, you know, these, they're still good athletes, but relative to the population, we had one elite athlete and the cognitive skills weren't as, as elite as the others who had elite cognitive skills with not as elite physical skills. Right. And so kind of the, the, the training concepts that we came up with and put into action, you know, were again, talking about decision-making and, and how to prime your system to execute different things and maximize your strengths, minimize your weaknesses. So we put him through the same progressions, but we told one guy to try to pull pull the baseball because we knew he had the cognitive skills to shut down on the backside and make, make you know make early des- decisions and adapt and adjust on the fly. Where the other guy needed to create as much time as possible, and he had some physical skills to help him get there on the backside. But we needed to create as much time as possible to help him with his decision making process and the way he's going to process the information. And so we told him like, all right. You're giving up the inside corner. Everything's got to be opposite field. Doesn't mean you're gonna you're not gonna pull anything anymore, but that's how you're gonna prime your system. We got to try to fight and create as much time as possible for you. It worked on both facets, right? And so, just I've, I tell the story to a lot of guys when I start introducing them to to some of the progressions. And you know, Isaac Galloway, the first time he did it, it was in season, and we're like, all right, Galloway, just it's not gonna be a whole lot. Be like forty swings, and it's gonna it's gonna be really tough. But just bear with, bear with it. Compete. You know this is what you're trying to do. Trying to back everything up. See as long as you can. Try to make good decisions. Swing at strikes. Take the balls. And that's all we want. That's all we want to accomplish right now. And he broke five bats in the session. And he, <laughs> and he was like he was sweating. He was in New Orleans. He's sweating. He's he's dripping through his 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 uh, BP top. You know he's 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 like man. You know he's he's ready to quit. He's broke five bats. You know his his confidence <laughs> is shot. But like, hey, just trust the process. When you go up in the game, it's going to be compl- it's going to slow the game down for you. So he goes out in the game. He's like three for four, two doubles and a homer. He comes. Out, he's like, I've never seen the ball like that before. <laughs> you know, it just like it just like was an aha moment for him, right? And then he started obviously began to do those drills every day. And then it be it became in the organization kind of like the hey, can I do the Galloway drills? You know, and so that that was kind of. That was kind of the the genesis of of all the you know our drill concepts put into action that year and you know obviously we've grown and come up with different variations and all the kind of stuff from there but that's that's a good story I like to tell and not something I always remember because that was kind of the first ones and you never know as a coach if it's going to work or not you know in theory everything's great but until you get a chance to go out and execute it and see how it works and see how the guys navigate through it you really don't know but you know we were able to hit a couple home runs with the first time which always always helps in the in the confidence of of executing that 
Well, Joe, I love that you, that's, I'm glad you interrupted and went there because I was going to ask you how understanding, right? You've gotten individual profiles on your players, as you just alluded to. How has understanding, you just gave us an example of this, how has understanding those profiles changed your approach when trying to develop them? Absolutely. I mean, that's, it's a huge piece of information for a coach, um, just understanding, you know, how your player processes information. Um, you know, I remember when Scott was, you know, educating me on everything and, He's like, Joe, just like physical skills, every athlete has cognitive skills, right? So just on the physical side, you don't want to ask a player to do something he's not capable of doing. Same thing on on the decision-making cognitive side. Um, and so understanding that, um, you know, like for Galloway in his situation, telling him he, he's if we want him to pull the ball, you know, if, he, if, he, if he's priming himself to pull the ball, which in turn, you know, on the execution side, you got to make your decision a little bit earlier to get the bat head out. Right. So he's taking away time, which he can't afford that. He needed he needed all that time. Right. To to process the information a little bit longer to make better decisions consistently, because that, that's what his his yeah. Achilles still, so to speak, in, in his uh, career to that point had been is like, you know, high strikeout, low walk, um, didn't impact the ball. And this guy's he's got he's a five tool player physically, but he couldn't get to some of his tools you know, on the hitting side because he just wasn't buying himself enough time. So when he figured that out, right? And so Nola was opposite. So understanding, having their profiles and understanding what they did well, what they didn't, and putting that piece in the puzzle with the physical skills and all those different things. Now we can, you know, even though this, the, the drill concepts are pretty similar, what they're going through, it's, it's how they're executing it, the decision they're making, how to prime themselves with their approach to execute those things, to maximize their strengths and weaknesses. Those are the things you can, you can do when you have their profile. You know, we had the profiles of the Marlins um, when I was at the Phillies. Um, we we're a, a S2 organization as well last year. Um, and then, you know, we're not this year. But it's definitely what place I've been where I've had I've had the, the assessments to look at and really see how they process information. It's it's much easier uh, to be sure about what you're what you're doing, what you're coming up with um, from. And, and again, all the drills are going to work. Right. I mean, it's just the fundamentals of of training the different processes are going to help everybody. But when you know their strengths and weaknesses, you can, you can, Hey, these are some areas you're struggling. We need to, we need to hit this more. This is your approach you need to take to protect yourself fr from those situations and, and enhance your strengths and minimize your weaknesses. So it's definitely, you know, very important information to have in my opinion. It's funny, Joe, you talk about Galloway and you talk about a five tool player, professional baseball player, and, he broke five bats going through these drills. These are not drills that are for the weak, uh, the weak-minded, or the weak of faint of heart, right? These, I mean, we design these to really push and challenge. I mean, when you think about arguably one of the most challenging feats in sports is in less than 400 milliseconds, making all those decisions and organizing your motor system to deliver a bat to hit a ball traveling at you at ridiculous velocities that are unpredictably changing on a pitch-by-pitch -pitch basis and moving in linear and curvilinear ways. I mean, it's it's superhuman. And, and so these, these drills are designed to prepare for that incredible feat the you've you've used these drills at all levels i mean talk to us a little bit about 
the reaction of the players. You gave us one example of joy, but in general, the reaction of the players, the uh, especially players that haven't been exposed to decision making drills, and just uh, are they more engaged? Are they, do they like them? Do they? Are, is it frustration first, followed by hey, total buy in? And they, I mean, you can always push the needle. Tell us about kind of the, the players' experience with these drills. Yeah, I think you know, as time went on, it's becoming easier and easier to get guys buy in, and and um, you know, I think everybody's getting up to speed in the industry. Um, understanding training environments and, you know, as skill acquisition and, and creating different environments, uh, constraint led approaches and different things to, to maximize player performance. And everybody's different. Every, I think everybody's understanding that now. So I think players are more familiar now. Um, machines are, are commonplace pretty much throughout the industry um, and using them on a daily basis for different things. Um, where when we first started, it, it wasn't as much, you know, they're, they're getting in there, um, you know, traditional, training is you know we're the one sport in the world that didn't train at game speed um now we're doing that but back then it was just like i don't want to get in there and get my butt kicked every day you know and get my confidence shot and then go out and perform <laughs> but i think it's just a mindset change and once the players understand that mindset change of like look this is this drill isn't about me mastering it and dominating it from a results perspective it's about training my brain and getting my brain to understand, you know, with time pressure in these different drills and changing the environment trajectory and speed and, you know, all these different things of understanding, like, these are the systems I need to prime and, and train. So when I do step in the box, the game slows down for me and I'm able to make these split second decisions more consistently, um, be able to react, react to different pitches, pitch types and, and how the ball, you know, the pitchers are getting better and better with, you know, create an efficient spin and tunnels. And, you know, as hitters, we got to train it and be better at it to be able to combat those things. Um, so, but I think, you know, now, nowadays it's, it's a lot easier sell than it used to be say three, four or five years ago. Um, you know, it's being more commonplace and we've, you know, different machines gotten some better machines. Um, you can control spin and spin rates to, to mirror pitch types in the game, as well as we've gotten some uh, balls that are softer so obviously, you know, there's some benefits, obviously, of hitting the hard balls as well. But in certain situations to have the softer balls that aren't going to blow your bat up, blow your hands up, <laughs> um, you know, so some of the some of the hurdles we used to have in the past, we have some ways to get around that now. Um, so it's evolving, always evolving and getting better. And I think it's it's accepted a lot more and a lot easier sell nowadays than it used to be for sure. And I think, you know, one of the things I remember from our conversations and our ongoing discussions has been just the appreciation that. You really have to to marry the science with the baseball expertise because you people come up with drills all the time, right? Coaches come up with drills all the time, and you can make you can create ridiculously hard drills, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's working what you intend it to work. And so there is some method, there is some some guidance we can get from how the how brains work to build smarter progressions and structure the drills in ways that are going to ma maximize your efficiency. And so, so that's been really important for us uh, at S2 Cognition and coming into the baseball world. You know, we're, we're very mindful and you know this, we're respectful. We don't want to tell coaches how to coach. Coaches are the baseball experts, but there, there are ways to structure drills and create drills and design progressions 
that are going to be more efficient than just coming up with a really tough, challenging drill or two and, and hope that that translates. And so it's about transferring to the field and building these, these transfer paths of, of drills and progressions that, that capitalize on what we know uh, from the science of the brain. Um, so I think that's a, you know, that's important. And, you know, you and, you and Paul always said something that uh, you tell your athletes, Hey, I'd rather you fail in here than out there against Verland, the likes of Verlander and Kershaw. So fail in here. So you don't, you know, so you're more successful out there. For sure. No, I, I, I think you hit the head perfectly, Scott, with um, understanding everything's got to make it to the field, right? So whether it's information or the way we train, whatever, if it doesn't lead to success on the field, it's, basically wasted time and worthless, right? For, for the player. Um, so that's, that's been key. And, you know, over the years of, of, you know, talking with you guys about, of, of how it in, impacts different systems and, and even just bouncing ideas and how to make things better. I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the approach I've always had anyway with the players of, you know, okay, here's your routine. Here's what you do. How do we make it better? Right. It's the same, same thing when we're, when we're training on the, on the decision-making side on the cognition, like, all right, here's, here's some drill concepts, right? How do we make it better? Um, and just bouncing ideas off you over the years, you know, with coming up with different ways. Hey, that's great. If you tried about, try this, or, you know, I'll call Scott, Scott, you know, we've been doing this drill. I've, I've tried this a couple of times. It seems like it's working better. What do you think? Yeah, that's great. Cause of X, Y, Z or whatever. Um, so that's, I think that's, you hit, hit the nail on the head right, right there with, you know, we got to have things that can make it to the field and improve performance on the field. Um, everything's good in theory, you know, in the lab or wherever, but if we don't see the application and, and players take it to the field and have more success, it's, it's pointless really. And it, it, that's, that's a great observation. Plus everything we design is, is designed for the field. Keep the bat in the hand. It's not putting the bat down and picking up an iPad or turning on a television touchscreen. It's it's bat in hand, in the cage, on the field, incorporating the visuals and the, and the motor demands of the swing into the actual decision-making part of the drill, linking what you see to what you rapidly decide to what you do. And I mean, that's how brains work in athletic performance. You, you can't, you know, if you set down the physical and, and go do the cognitive outside of the game, it's not going to transfer. It's not going to link up to the action control systems and what the eyes are having to process. Uh, so you've got to keep the brain links the eyes to the to the motor system to the body, and and you've got to you got to work them in tandem and work them uh, in parallel in order to really build those those impactful transferable uh, skills. Yeah, we've uh, we've done a lot of talking about the professional side, but Joe, we, we've you know as to his really been committed to helping younger athletes. So can you speak to the importance of training, you know, cognition at the younger athletic levels for youth baseball, youth softball? Why would it be important for them to, to be a part of the, you know, part S2? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, just talking with Scott and under, understanding, you know, this is out of my realm, but how the brain is continuing to develop until 25. Is that right, Scott? Yeah. Right. In that early mid 20. Yeah. Yeah. System and so, yeah. And so, like, in, you know, I think the findings of S2 and working in the youth market is and even in the pro market as the time's gone by and the more information's been gathered of understanding where you certain areas you can you can move the needle and, and you know, enhance their skills and, and get them to do things. And I think that the, the sooner you can try it. Right. 
that's more experience. You're building that Rolodex of, of pitches seen and, and understanding pitch movement and all those things. The sooner you can train that, you know, theoretically, the more you practice it and the more you do it, you should create those skills and, and be able to execute more, more consistently. And that's, that's the biggest thing, right? Is there's, there's even at the big league level, there's failure all over the place. It's just, they don't, the best ones don't fail as much as the other ones. Right. And that's pretty much, it's, it's all about consistency. And so if you can start doing those things at younger ages and get accustomed to it. So like the first time you ever see 90 miles an hour, it's a big deal because you haven't seen it before. Right. The first time you see a hundred, a hundred miles an hour. I mean, you watch TV now, these guys, it's elite velocity everywhere. You know, it's 95 to a hundred every night, almost every guy. And, but they see it all the time now. And it's not that big of a deal where before a hundred, you know, I think I played 13 years and my, the first 12 years of my career, I saw a hundred three times in person. My last year I was in AAA and I saw like 12 guys hit a hundred my last year playing. Right. <laughs> and so now we're seeing it all the time, but it's just like, once you get used to it, it's not that big of a deal. So again, at the younger ages, you start introducing these drills and concepts and getting them to see certain things and build that Rolodex. So it's, it's, it's not new. They've seen it before they get in there. They know what to do. They know how to, you know, how to prime themselves to attack different pitches and pitch types. They see certain things and, and, and understand you right. You're creating basically like I, I say, you to create swing solutions for different pitches. So you, you can't have a swing solution for a pitch you haven't seen before. Right. And so that's the idea is, you know, introducing them, building that Rolodex, like Scott always talks about, building that Rolodex of, of pitches and pitch types and putting them in different environments and changing timing and time and space and trajectory and all those different things that we know go into making good decisions in the game um, and, and training it. And I think, I think the biggest, the biggest thing, um, you know, one of the aha moments I had with Scott early on was, you know, we've always trained to swing and then we expect him to go in the game and make good decisions and swing at strikes, take the balls, but we never, we traditionally you never work on taking right you never work on the no just like the yes of getting your getting your swing off we never work on the no and shutting that motor program down and so that's something that you know i've taken a run with and you know i think is is very impactful on on our hitters you know training the no just like the yes and um you know at the young level at the young ages again introducing that to them you know because it's all swing 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 they get hitting lessons what they do they swing the whole time right and then you go in the game. What are you swinging at, Johnny? Come on, that ball's over your head. It bounced yeah. in the dirt. What are you swinging at? You, right. right. So, again, all those things. The, the sooner we can introduce it to them, you know, build, building up their experience and putting them in different situations. When they do get in those situations in the game, it's going to be more familiar to them and, and have higher chance for success. Yeah, Joe. I mean, that that's so right. I mean, you're almost preparing them for the the next level. Because when do we need these cognitive skills? When the demands are the greatest and they're the greatest at the, in the big leagues, right? I mean, the decision-making. I mean, you've been a part of uh, World Series champs. You've, you've coached MVP. You've, you've coached a lot of the guys that are uh, in the World Series this year. I mean, you've coached at a high level and decision, I mean, where they're facing the, the greatest demands on their decision-making because they have less time and more unpredictability. And more things the ball can do that are that's crazy, and uh, that's when you you know chaos is when you need these split every advantage and these split second decision making skills. Now you know a fourteen fifteen year old probably isn't 
facing doesn't need him as much as, you know, a pro ball player, <laughs> but you're starting to build those skills and train those skills and challenge those skills. It will help them a little bit at their current age, you know, the youngest kids, but it's absolutely going to prepare them and build their skill for the next level when things get harder and more challenging and more demanding. Um, I, I love that observation uh, that, that, hey, you're preparing them for the next level. I'm curious, you know, you you have worked with some of the, the best hitters on the planet. I mean, what was their response? Uh, I mean, you think, you know, Sometimes you can you can think, hey, they've got great swings and they do and they, you know, they're great athletes and they are. But I mean, this decision making, how how critical was that in your development of world champion hitters? I think it was in 2019, uh, you know, I think one of the one of the main areas that it helped us was our bench players, um, you know, like Howie Kendrick, for example. You know, he's he was a big big proponent of it. I mean, in, in all guys, you know, at, at, at that level, you'd be amazed if, of guys have been in the big leagues for a long time, very successful. They, they want they still want to get better. Um, everybody wants to get better and they're still looking for new things and new ways to help them get better and perform in the game. And, you know, Howie is a great hitter. I mean, he's, he's, he's known, he, he's been a great hitter his whole life and everybody knew that. And, um, you know, future batting title winner when he's coming up and all these different things. And, you know, he battled some, he had a wonderful career, um, you know, and some injuries later in his career prevented from playing every day, you know, just some old injuries that prevent from playing every day, but introducing him to the different drill progressions in the, in the, in the cages in spring training. And he just, he took it and ran with it. Um, you know, he's, he, he's unbelievable. But one of the things he mentioned to me was Joe, he's like, those drills were able to keep me, keep my game timing, precise so when i did pinch hit it's like i'm playing every i'm still i still have my timing and it feels like i'm still playing every day even though i'm not and and you know creating that environment so when he he steps out there even though he's seen 95 he's pinch hitting up the closer and he's seen 95 for the first time that night with the game on the line he's been he's he was in the he had a he had a great routine that he did every day and that would prepare him so when he did step in the box and 95 would appear 85 and it's like he'd been he's already had four at bats and he's he's up there like he's been playing every day from just from a cognition, you know, a brain perspective of of the feel that he had. It, he really felt like it helped him slow the game down consistently and keep that in fine his timing fine tune, which we know is a is is a really hard thing to do off the bench. And he was able to to dominate off the bench and as a part time role. Um, you know, but I think that those are the ways it was really able to impact us. Our bench players were able to stay sharp. And like they're playing every day because of the reps they're getting in the cages, um, in that perspective and performance. And then you know, I think the other on the other side, just from the everyday players, it helps them as well. Again, putting them in these different environments in in chaos, so to speak, and they figure out you know when I'm late, this is what I feel like. Um, you know, because some of the situations we put them in in the cage, they're going to be late. They have no choice. Um, but when they're going through that every day. And they feel it in the game. They're able to feel what that feels like because they experience it on a daily basis. And they're able to step out and make that adjustment the next pitch. And that's what the great ones do. They're able to make adjustments from pitch to pitch and a bat to a bat, right? And and fight for that little bit more of consistency and on the decision-making side And which you make good decisions. You're only as good as the balls you swing at. You make good decisions. You swing at the right pitches over the course of the season. You're going to impact the ball more. And obviously, your numbers are going to be better at the end of the year so. 
um, just that cascade of positive events and it, it all starts and how you prepare and that's how it's been able to imp- impact our performance on the field. What a great message to the young ball players out there that look, you've got athletes at the pinnacle of the game who are still putting themselves in situations to fail, to challenge, to push their systems. And it's not all about getting in and, and, and mashing balls that are fastballs, 75 miles an hour, 80 miles an hour, right down the, the gut. And, uh, it's got to be dynamic. You got to challenge these decision-making. You don't build that, that flexible ability to make those adjustments you were just talking about unless you actually train your brain how to make those adjustments and sharpen them and refine them and challenge those skills. That's great, Joe. Yeah, Joe, thanks for sharing that story. That was uh, phenomenal. When, um, when you guys, when we saw that Joe was coming on, immediately something I was super excited to talk to both of you guys is is this how the difference in way the way we measure rhythm versus timing? And so, you know, we got a world renowned cognitive neuroscientist on, we've got a professional hitting coach on. You guys are gonna know our eaters, our listeners are gonna eat this up, man. Can Scott, can you talk to us about the differences? Because a lot of times rhythm and timing are thrown around interchangeably. Can you talk about A, how we measure it and B, how it's different? And then we'll throw it over to Joe. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean, because timing, I mean, you hear that timing is everything. Was it Warren Spahn, you know, Hall of Fame pitcher said hitting is timing and pitching is disrupting timing. And uh, I may be paraphrasing a little bit there, but I think every coach appreciates that. It's all about timing. And, you know, when we started talking about timing and the variations of timing and, and, and certainly our thinking about what the brain is doing with respect to timing came out of discussions with, um, you know, coaches like Joe and, and Paul Phillips. And, you know, there's, there's two different phases that we think about. There's kind of this rhythmic dance between the hitter and the pitcher, right? So the, it, the hitter is moving and getting to that good hitting position, um, in concert, in sync with the pitcher's windup and cadence and the pitcher's tempo. And that, as, as Joe will educate us here, I'm sure in a second here, that how critical that is that you get that foot down, you get to that good hitting position so that you're prepared to then make the ultimate timing decision, which is what we'd call an interceptive timing decision or a coincident timing where you, that's the decision the brain sends down that says, start the swing. And it's intended to optimize bat to ball contact. When do I start the swing and deliver the swing so that it's on time and, 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 you know, makes contact with the ball at the optimal point in space that timing decision is a little bit different. And so we talk about rhythm being the the kind of the setup, the table setter, that that hitter's ability to synchronize their load movements. They're getting to that good hitting position. The movements that are, are made during that time in sync with the pitcher is kind of that rhythmic timing. And that's a little bit different system in the brain that gather, governs rhythm based getting in sync you know I, I most hitters probably would say man there's hitters that are a little easier to get in sync with kind of because of their the rhythmicity and the consistency of their windup then you've got the the quatos and some of the pitchers now that are doing all kind of, i just saw one in one of the championship series stopping and waiting and delaying and doing different movements sometimes their arms go above the head in the windup sometimes they keep it close to the chest 
starting, hesitating, stopping, those kinds of things to disrupt that rhythmic timing. And if you can disrupt that, I'm sure Joe will have some thoughts about, man, if you're late there or, you know, out of whack in terms of that rhythm, rhythmic getting to that good hitting position, it kind of rushes and puts pressure on all the other systems and the, the more interceptive timing system. And so I think it's important, you know, we measure both rhythmic and interceptive timing because they're different aspects of what a hitter is doing with respect to timing. And um, they, they impact different phases of, of the whole swing uh, related timing uh, system. Yeah, getting started, right? Getting started. When do I get started? And then when do I swing the bat? I, I guess would be a quick recap of that. So, Joe, why is this distinction important? Uh, this is a <laughs> this is something I think we could talk about for days. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think the the longer I do this, the more the more importance I feel that timing plays in the whole process of hitting and decision making. Um, you know, I think it's the number one most important cascade of events that happens is, you know, just from talking with Scott over the years is like, you know, why, why does Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, um, you know, some of these other guys, why do they swing at sliders in the dirt? Right. Like, how did he just swing at that pitch if it wasn't even close? Right. Um, you know, I think it's a timing issue when you're late. Right. So your brain's preoccupied, not only trying to process the information coming in, you're also, your brain's also trying to organize your motor program to get in a you know, position to get your swing off, right? So the marrying of those two things, you know, when you're dealing with, you know, less than 400 milliseconds, um, you know, in, in a game of milliseconds and millimeters, it, it, you know what I mean? And hitting a hundred mile an hour fastball, with three pitches coming out of the same spot. I mean, it's, again, like Scott said, it's... It, when you really think about it and break it down, it's, it feels like it's impossible. Yeah, it's impossible. You know, so, um, but yeah, I think, I, I think that's, that's kind of at the, especially at the major league level, I think that's one of the, the main things to, to maintenance is their ability to get on time from a rhythmic standpoint is like being able to get in sync with that pitcher, um, being able to get in a good hitting position on time, which in turn, is going to maximize their ability to to use that time and space to make good decisions and get a good swing off, right? So it's it's going to maximize their ability to move efficiently as well as make uh, you know good consistent decisions, um, you know, impact their decision making process when they're up there. Um, so you you'll see it. You 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 watch on TV. You know, you watch the World Series come. You know, guys are they got electric stuff coming in there. It's changing directions, and you'll see the elite hitters. It looks like. They got early, you know, we call it like an early take. You can just see them shut down. You see their kind of their body shut down early out of the hand because they're on time. They're, 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 they're going right. And then you, sometimes you can see that same hitter later in the game, like Scott's saying, a guy's screwing with their timing or he's a side armor or he's not picking the ball up. And all, all of a sudden, the same pitch, you'll see him flinch or, you know, make a late shutdown decision on a ball that's not close versus the other, right? And it's all milliseconds and millimeters. But I, for me, and just my observation of watching thousands and thousands of hitters and thousands and thousands of videos, it's all about that that timing piece, that rhythm, getting in, in sync with that that pitcher and getting your body in position on time. I think it feels. I feel like it unlocks your ability to make decisions as well as as move efficiently. Um, and it, you know, it's hard to quantify. You know, we have some. We kind of have some baselines that we work for work with. You know, I think looking forward, Hawkeye's coming in the game. So they're, they're, they're starting to be able to monitor a lot more in, in game 
things like with you know with connecting the hitters movements with the pitchers movements kinematic sequences and ball flights and speeds and all this craziness that you know we're, we're going to be introduced with i think we're going to get there but you know i think that's 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 the one thing right now it's it's hard to you know people kind of stay away from cognition and timing because it's super hard to qu- quantify you really can't see cognition you know with your with with the naked eye and it's hard to really quantify like what on, what on time looks like it's going to be a little bit different for everybody you know and same thing with cognition but it's like those those are hard hard areas to go to because you really don't know like we know we know what is conducive uh, conducive to producing those things with being on time consistently with making good decisions from a baseball perspective like the timing control piece with uh, the bat to ball skills that's what it is for me is like you know like the, Scott's talking about the interception you know of the of the motor program with the ball coming in that's that's the bat to ball skills like so we've seen you know the ability to make get the bat to the ball that's where that that timing control piece that usually the guys that are elite in that level will have elite timing timing control right Scott is that's what we've seen it's one of the yeah it's one of the better it's one of the predictors of contact rates. It contributes to contact. Now, I mean, you got to have the physical and the technical, all that contributes to contact. But this timing control measure, that interceptive timing, is contributes in virtually all of our uh, prediction models for uh, predicting contact rate. Yeah, if you if you have really good interceptive timing ability, making those adjustments to changes in velocity, you're you have higher uh, propensity for for contact yeah and and you'll see that and those guys i think they're afforded uh you know a bigger window of uh, room for air so to speak right um like you see gene segura i had gene segura last two years you've, you've watched him in the playoffs you know some of the balls that he hits it's it's amazing how he does it right yeah like the like the big hit he got to the night you know the slider down and away and he reaches out and pokes it in the right center field you know that could be the game-winning hit yeah. But that's those those are cognitive skills you see on display. Guys like him that have elite bat to ball skills. That that's what we see in, in the baseball. You know, we're calling the bat to ball skills, but that's that's what it is. He's got elite. You know, we don't know. We've never tested him, but we we know from watching him that those are the skills he needs to be elite in to be able to do the things he's doing. Right. Um, so it affords him a, a bigger margin of error with his timing and his and even his movement, right, and his decision making because he can he can make those last split second millisecond decisions and millimeter movements with his bat to get the bat to ball and intercept that that ball coming in so it's it's really intriguing when you when you really understand you said man that guy he's you know he's got to be elite in xyz or whatever but going back to the original question with the timing the, the rhythm and timing the rhythm i think is that's the the number one cascade of events that happens when guys are on time consistently i think it, everything functions at, at its maximal level so when you see guys when you see guys locked in and they're you know they, ha- they go on a tear for two three weeks they're 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 in sync they're getting on time consistently pitch to pitch they're making good decisions on the daily basis they're not chasing they're forcing the pitcher in the strike zone they're taking their walks and then when they do make a mistake they're not missing it right so all those di- different things it's it's and it's all decision making even the decision of, of what you're trying to do how you're priming yourself when you step in the box that's a decision you make that's of how you prime your system. That's going to impact your ability to get on time and your ability to to get the bat to the ball, right? And we've known that, you know, going back, just looking at through the history of, you know, pre-two-strike approach, a two-strike approach. So there's different ways to prime your system, right? And, and and your ability to get in sync and get on time, make a decisions, all those different things, right? You're just trying to buy yourself more time with two strikes. That's the old two-strike approach. 
right? To give yourself that little split second longer to make that little decision to lay off that nasty slider, the strike the ball slider down and away, those, those types of things. So understanding like how those components, the rhythm and timing play in the role of, of, of the, again, making the millisecond to millimeter decision coming in, you know, that's, it's, it's great. And, you know, I'm constantly trying to find new ways for these, to help these guys get on time and different drill progressions that we can put them in. And, you know, the beautiful thing is, you know, like I always try to find drills that just create drill environments, drill progressions that they're all going to execute a little bit differently because they're all different. They all process, they all move differently, but they all figure it out, right? They all figure out their own way to do it. And as a coach, ask them, Hey, what, what were you, what were you thinking here? What were you, you know, what were you trying to do? You know, what changed from when you had no shots all of a sudden now you're making good decisions. Now what, what, what changed? Like, what was it? And then, you know, using that as a cue for them down the road to help them work through that again, if they get out of whack, Hey, remember before X, Y, you did X, Y, Z, are you doing that still? Or no, let's get back to that or, you know, try something different. So it's, it's, it's great with, um, again, until we, 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 we get some technology or some way to track it and really quantify it and the impact it has on everything. It's, uh, you know, it's still, it's still going to be that X factor of the unknown, but we know it's one of the most important things, if not the most important thing in, in, in hitting a baseball. And we, you know, and Joe, to that point, we, I mean, we know, and that's why we have a rhythm control measure in our evaluation, because we know brains differ in terms of that mental metronome, that ability to synchronize your movements mm-hmm. in kind of a, a rhythmic way. Musicians are among the best on the planet. For obvious reasons, um, but that ability to synchronize and, and use your mental metronome to consistently get to a point in time in sync with um, the pitcher. I mean, some athletes have incredible capacity to to sync up their movements in time and to represent a rhythm that gets them to where they want to be in, in their in their their hitting position. Others are going to be more variable, whether they're tend to speed up, especially under pressure or slow down the rhythm and be late, or they're just more variable in general. We know some brains are just more variable in that kind of rhythmic kind of organization of your movements. And, you know, we've talked about, uh, you know, if, if you've got low rhythm, you probably would benefit from simplifying some of those mechanical movements that are part of your getting, you know, the movements you make to get to that you know, good hitting position, you know, because the more actions, the more movements you have to get to that good hitting position, the more you're having to synchronize and to time up and to, to uh, put together in that rhythm. Um, so it's it, it's really helpful for athletes to understand kind of how their rhythm system works and then how their interceptive timing, you know, that 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 ability to adjust to variations in velocity that send that those commands out and delay. Sometimes you got to wait for pitches, right? Have, get a fastball and then a, a an off speed pitch, and sometimes you got to catch up. You get two breaking balls, two zero, and you're still late on the. You know the fastball is coming, and you're still late. You know, and so the interceptive timing and the rhythm. I mean, those are two pieces that are important for athletes to understand how their brain kind of deals with those aspects of timing so you can start working and train both of these skills you can train that's what's cool you can train mm-hmm. that better rhythm you may not become beethoven but uh <laughs> you know you, you can you can you can work on building and there's techniques to metronome based techniques to get more in rhythm and then you definitely can improve your timing 
your your interceptive timing and making time adjustments to achieve better uh, contact rates. But uh, yeah, those are great insights, Joe. Yeah, Joe talking about the two most important aspects he thinks of hitting are rhythm and timing. And then I took the eval. And amongst other limitations uh, to being a hitter, I see my scores there. And I'm like, yeah, no, that makes a whole lot of sense. I was never on time to anything. So no, I appreciate you saying that, Joe. It's great insight. Um, <laughs> hey, uh, has your son committed yet? He's he's playing, right? Yeah, he's he's committed to the University of Arizona. Very good. Yeah, so he's pumped up about that. Um He's at yeah he's at McLennan Community College in Waco Texas um, really really good JUCO pro- program they've been in the World Series the last two years two years ago they won it and then last year they lost at the World Series mm-hmm. um, but yeah so he just committed to Arizona a few weeks ago and he's he's fired up about that and um, so it's it's good I mean that's you know obviously University is a great baseball school um, we, we really like their coaching staff um, you know I think he's going to go there and get a chance to further his development and and have a great college experience and see what happens from there. Man, that's awesome. Uh, anything. So the last segment on our podcast is three random and funny questions before we get there. <laughs> you got anything to plug or anything you want to talk about here before we get there? No, I have nothing to plug. <laughs> All right. All right. No, that sounds great. I appreciate the honesty, right? That's one thing we love about you. <laughs> um, can I ask where you keep your nationals world series ring? I keep it. In a safe somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Very nondescript. Thank you. Yeah. No. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I'm I, obviously that's, you know, it was a, be- it's a beautiful ring and I love it. Um, you know, obviously that's something we'll have forever and, you know, my sons will have it when I'm, when I'm gone and, um, you know, but I'm just really not the, the flashy type, you know, I'm trying to find, I've, I think I've worn it twice. Um, you know, it's hard to find a place to wear it. Obviously it's, 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 a, it, it's a big, beautiful ring and it's it definitely going to draw some attention to you. And that's really not me, but, uh, um, when I first met you, you were all about the bling. Yeah. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. So, um, yeah, but you know, it's definitely something I'm proud of and to have, but yeah, I just I keep it, uh, keep it safe somewhere. Yeah. If I start wearing it more often, you know, it may find its way in the house, but I don't know when that'll happen. So, <laughs> <laughs> if um, if you were starting an MLB roster today, Aaron Judge or Otani, who who would you start with? I mean, that's that's tough. I mean, I I almost think Otani's his own his he's is in his own category. Yeah, you know, what I mean, I mean, it's hard not to say Otani in any conversation because he's he, he's two All Star players in one, basically. Um, so I'd have to say Otani with that one. Yeah. Um, and then last question, the furthest ball you've ever seen and witnessed in person, uh, who hit it? Where was it? Do you, do you remember it? Um, it's hard. It's hard to say. Um, there's been, there's been a lot, um, you know, the, sometimes the projections that we get back from the, it doesn't seem right. you know, but Juan Soto, Juan Soto's ball, probably the one of the most impressive balls I've seen in person was the ball Juan Soto hit in the World Series opposite field up on the tra- railroad tracks. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, you know, and, and just hearing, you know, some of the all-time Astros, like I think Bijou and Bagwell were there at the World Series at the time and, you know, reading some of the, their interviews afterwards. They, they, they said, you know, some of the biggest, uh, strongest power, right-handed power hitters they've played with or seen at that park over the years. 
I mean, they played, they, they were there a long time and they said that they don't even, there's been only a few times that big, big right-handed power hitters ever went that way. And he went opposite field that way. Um, that was one of, that was one of the most impressive balls I've seen hit. Um, you know, but just over the years with, with Bryce Harper and, you know, he's hit some very imp- impressive home runs. Um, you know, uh, Hey Joe, word on the street is that you were a masher. So what's the <laughs> furthest ball you've hit? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, brag, don't be humble. What's the <laughs> furthest ball? I mean, what was, or well, what was the ball you remember that you just absolutely did monster damage to? Um, probably, probably in college. Um, you know, we cheated. We had the uh, hot aluminum bats back then. Um, you're at Texas but, Tech, right? Yeah, Texas Tech. Um, so, but there's some some days in Lubbock. Uh, the wind blows out uh, rather firmly, consistently. There, <laughs> the wind blows every day. If the wind didn't blow, I don't. I don't think you could afford to live in West Texas because the people are great, and you know. But the wind, the wind blows all the time in West Texas, and um, you know, basically every day on my way to the field, I just look see what way the flags were blowing, and that'd be my that'd be my approach that day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh definitely there's some balls i hit there that were that you know i was like dang did i just hit a ball like that but um i wasn't really you know i had i had some years where i hit a lot of home runs um you know i, I had 33 at texas tech which is still the single season record there um yeah. and then a pro and pro ball i had some big home run years but i'm i wouldn't consider myself a power hitter you know i i think like i i didn't have just raw power like in bp or whatever i couldn't even come close to hitting it as far as some of these other guys, but in the game, using the pitcher's velocity, you know, able to square the ball up consistently, I'd able to hit some home runs. But you know, they count in the tenth throw just like they do in the hundredth throw. That's so, right. um, <laughs> but you know, I think that's one of the things that that hurt me is um, you know from a just my you know short big league career of you know up and down over the course of four different seasons. But most of my bats were pinch hits, and you know my power wouldn't show up when I'd pinch hit um, like it would when I was playing every day and again, going back to the timing thing, I was, I was, a, I had to be feeling good and timing in order to move my contact point up to, to do some damage. And, you know, when you're, when you're pinch hitting off the closer and, you know, again, we didn't train like we don't train like we did do, do now back then. And so you sit around for five days and all of a sudden you go get in a bat off, you know, Billy Wagner and, you know, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? And so it's, it's tough to, it's tough, it's tough to take a chance to get the bat head out. And that was just me. So, you know, I felt like I put good at bats together and made good decisions. You know, um, and and doing the assessment with Scott a few years ago. You know, just just to give Scott some uh, some fluff. Not that he needs any, but he uh, we when I did the assessment, and that, that's really what sold me on it. After I did the assessment, me and Scott sat down and he looked at my assessment, and he he's never seen me take one swing, never saw me take one at bat. You know, never looked at anything, and he looked at, looking at my assessment, he nailed me as a hitter. So like velocity didn't bother me, spin didn't bother me, but change ups, change change ups and split fingers were my kryptonite. And he told me that just based on looking at my at my profile, which was crazy. And I'm like, all right, this there may be something to this stuff. I and mean, this is pretty early on yeah. in, the, in the process. Um, you know, I think it's the first time Scott and I really got got around each other and got to communicate or whatever. Um, and so that was that was good. So I was able to, and he saw my profile, and I was able to make good good decisions pretty consistently. You know, I had some years where I walked more and I struck out and, and slugged, you know, pretty relatively high. Um, you know, which is, that's, you know, like I always tease people, I played the wrong era because, and nowadays with the information and everything they got, I, I would have been a lot more valued, I think, but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. 
Yeah, there's no spe- hey, and the, just just for clarification, there's no special voodoo or horoscopish kind of nature to this. What you're talking about on the report, it's just how our brains are wired, and we're going to have things we do well and things we yeah. struggle with, and and that's all we're disclosing here. So it's uh, you know, there, there's nothing special. Uh, there's no special powers we have. It's just. Man, that's how your brains are wired. So the fact that it aligns, that's always really cool, though. I mean, it's just it's who we are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. We're, Joe, we're going to have you on. Yeah. Uh, appreciate your time today. But we're definitely going to have you on. We're going to talk about chase rates, maybe get into more some more timing and rhythm stuff. So appreciate your time today, man. You're awesome. Appreciate it. Enjoy the World Series. So uh, thanks again for jumping on with us, man. Absolutely. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. And, you know, the lastly, this is the most I've talked to Scott in a couple of years. He's, you know, he's getting big time now. <laughs> Traveling around, yeah. the, traveling around, the, t- traveling around the country. He's he used to have time for me all the time. Now I got to get on. I got to get on a pod. Yeah, right. Now I got to get on a podcast to talk to him. So, yeah, right. <laughs> that's great, dude. That's too, great. Touche, buddy. Yes. Well, we I love you no guys. And, and <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next podcast. Right. <laughs> yeah, Sounds right, great, Joe. buddy. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Take care.